This is the Mental Metal Podcast, and I am your host, Coach Matt Tillman. I'm a former athlete, teacher, coach, and athletic director that switched careers after surviving cancer and a stroke in the fall of 2020. But I'm also a dad of a son and a daughter that were successful high school athletes that went on to college. Now I use that experience along with my ICF coaching certification when helping teams, coaches, and athletes from all over the country. Each week, I will pose a specific question that will help coaches of all types better understand mental toughness. In the Mental Metal Podcast, coaches will learn to help their athletes overcome adversity without being the adversity they need to overcome. Welcome back. Excited you are here, and I am ready to roll. Uh, starting today with a series of basketball coaches that I'm interviewing about mental toughness on all sorts of different angles. And it's no surprise that I'm starting interviewing coaching, uh, basketball coaches, basketball coach. Basketball was my, my first love. It's my favorite sport. Played a little baseball as well. And of course I, you know, I love all sports and guy just pay attention to, to all sports and I work with student athletes from all sports, but basketball, uh, is my thing has always been my thing. Uh, it's my favorite. I'm actually a, I was a second generation college basketball player. And when that's, you know, the fact that, you know, I was born in 1975. So the fact, and my dad was born in 1948, the fact that, uh, he played some basketball, uh, where I was from in rural Southern Illinois, Growing up on a farm, I was always amazed by the fact that my dad left home, uh, went and got his college uh, education and played basketball for those years. Not not a big school, nothing fancy, uh, but he went and played. And it wasn't necessarily the norm there. And he came back and took over the family farm. And I, that college degree wasn't. And that experience of playing basketball wasn't something he had to have, uh, but he went and did it anyway. And I, it's always meant so much to me uh, that he did that, that it was that important to me. And then whenever I, I was a, I was a very successful uh, high school basketball player in a small school. And then I found out uh, that that didn't necessarily equate at the college. I, I, I played college basketball. I loved it. I was successful in the sense that I enjoyed it which I think that should be uh, a number one for everybody playing college basketball because very, very few go to the pros. So you need to go enjoy it. Everybody wants to play. Everybody wants to win, but I, I accepted my role as a, as a role player and, and enjoyed it. So I find that being, uh, that's my definition of success and something I try to instill in the athletes that I work with and knowing your role and, and that sort of thing. But I digress. My, my, uh, children both played a little bit of college basketball. My daughter just played a year, but she loved, uh, basketball in high school. And my son still plays at the division two level and loves it. So basketball is a, oh, and I also have a brother who just finished his, he just retired. I believe, I believe he played 12 years of professional basketball. So it's, I mean, that's, at our house, it's, it is a number one sport. We like the other things, but it's all about basketball and we love it. Um, and of course I spent time coaching basketball and that is why 
a lot of my, these first interviews I'm going to do is through is coaching basketball coaches or interviewing basketball coaches. And that's because that's, that's the world. That's my, that's my, um, network. That's the people I know, the people that I know that know people, they're basketball coaches. I'll you know, dive into other sports at times, but that is, that's what I know. And that's what I want to get into. And the very first guest I'm going to have on is a longtime friend of mine by the name of John Hughes. He play. he's coached some basketball at various high schools through Illinois. And we got to know each other because we coached together and then in the same district, I'll mention it in the interview, but yeah, we just got to be very close friends because we had my science classroom was right next to the gym and we both coached basketball and we were both in the same program. So we would have lunch together every day and do our best to solve the problems of the world. And more importantly, the problems of basketball throughout the U S and, and, but more importantly, our, our little district and what we needed to do there. And we really just had some great conversations. I learned so much not just about sitting and, and drawing up plays, which we did that, but just the, the mentality of players, parents, coaches, what we needed to do better, um, what, how we could help their, our kids be better. So many conversations. And I know at various times we mentioned and laughed that this would make a good podcast, this lunchroom talk. And when I, John uh, was one of the very first guys I called after I had my stroke. And I, I don't know if he remembers the call. I should ask him sometime, but it was a struggle for me uh, with that being vulnerable. And, and he was one of the first guys I knew that it was okay for me to reach out to uh, because I, I knew where his heart was and I knew his passion and knew he'd be willing to help me. And you'll see that passion in here in this interview. We're going to talk a lot about a guys that, if you don't know John and I, and you don't know the school we were at in Deer Creek, Mackinac, uh, these, these names won't mean much to you, uh, but consider them to be examples of various athletes that you run across the, you're going to hear us talk about various kids that had mental toughness that needed to develop it and how it showed and what the benefits were. And you're going to be able to apply that. And you're going to see the passion in John's voice and, and how much it meant to him and how much they meant to him. So pay attention, uh, get what you want out of it. I think it's a great story and some great examples here. And also uh, John did coach my son for a while too. So it's just so many connections between he and I, uh, we'll get done with the interview, enjoy it. And the flip side, I'll break down some of the things and see how, uh, talk about how we can, uh, how you can use those things to apply them to, you know, your coaching practice and how you can use it to help your kids. So enjoy the interview. Calling all parents of athletes. I have some exciting news. Get ready to help your young athletes develop mental toughness this summer. Join me in a free webinar on developing mental toughness in young athletes. You'll gain valuable insights to help your athlete enjoy summer athletics while building mental toughness. And the kids are welcome too. 
And also, don't miss the interactive Q&A session for some personalized guidance. So mark your calendars for June 13th at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Empower your young athlete and gain practical tips for the entire family. So join me in helping your athlete thrive and register today. I truly hope to see you there. The Mental Metal Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Quick Cut. Quick Cut is the new alternative to Huddle. It's no secret why Quick Cut is the fastest growing platform in the country. Their video analysis platform has everything you need. Plus, you'll get triple the storage at about half the price. And now get even more when you use the promo code 50 hours for 50 hours of free video storage. Make the switch. You'll be glad you did. Visit quickcut.com today. Today's question on the Mental Metal Podcast is how to develop a defensive mindset in an offensive world. And my guest today is a longtime friend and basketball coach, John Hughes. He has, uh, we worked together in the sense that I was the junior high, one of my first early jobs, I was a junior high coach while he was the high school coach for a program. And uh, it'll feel very normal for us to sit here and talk basketball because we did that every day in my classroom. Um, over lunch and the reason I brought him here on today with this specific question is I was in the district when he came in and became the the head high school coach and I watched him take a struggling program to a winning program and he did it primarily with defense and I know that he did it with defense because the same kids that he had I had coached in junior high and I know that you were only going to do it with defense uh, with with those guys so um, to see that he was able to get a program that was very very uh, very much defensive mindset uh, because that is and to do that in today's culture in today's basketball when it's you know kids don't kids go out to the driveway they're they're practicing you know shooting and things like that uh but defense is you know it's important coaches know they're important but it's the building it uh so i wanted to see that and and full disclosure john also coached uh, my son for a while and uh by definition my son you would definitely quite classify him as a, an offensive player first and John got him to play some defense as well. So that's why I got uh, Coach Hughes here uh, to answer our question, which is how to develop a defensive mindset in an offensive world. So that's our first question, Coach. Uh, what's on your mind? Uh, full disclosure, when I coached Lane Tillman, first of all, he was a five foot six freshman. Uh, and not exactly an offensive threat. He still may have been one of our best offensive players, uh, a guy that was hungry to play and was looking to get on the floor the way he could. And um, when I was kind of prepping my notes for this podcast, that's one of my two favorite plays in, the, in my time at DMAC in the five years I was there, four years, was playing a, a five-foot-six freshman that broke up a lob on an out-of-bounds play because uh, he was just this, that's the kind of kid he was. So, um Full disclosure, I didn't get to coach the offensive-minded Lane Tillman. I may have, I may have cut him loose a little bit uh, more, but you know, as as like as you mentioned this afternoon, you shot me the text, and it's it's an honor to be here first of all. And like I said, I reciprocate all those things. 
Uh, Matt helped me build a great thing at DMAX. I'm, one of the things I'm most proud of in my life is kind of what we did uh, with the program there. Um, <clears throat> and we did. And I, as I thought about it, we, we built it in a, in a culture of highlight reels through Snapchat and Instagram and everything else. Um, we took a bunch of guys and, and made them do what I think is one of the most unselfish acts in, in the game of basketball, play defense and sold out for each other. And um, I'm certainly proud of that. And as I was reflecting on kind of some of the things that, that we, I talked about and we focused on, um, I think, I think you build the culture you want by investing in young people. Um, if, if you were only come to a couple of our games, a few of our games throughout the year, I, th I think most people would see that I am very difficult probably to play for. I think my players would kind of see that too. Um, but I also know that the, the guys I coached and was hard, the most hard on, I knew they could do that because I'd, I'd poured into them as people. I knew about their families. I knew about them um, outside of it. I knew when they are having issues off the court with their with, with girls or parents or whatever it may be. And I, I think when you pour into young people and you, and you really truly love them, I, I think they'll go to bat for you. Um, and I, I think you can raise expectations and, and make things um, more difficult and more attainable that they never thought they could do. Yeah, it's and and I know that you know, like I said, we've been friends, so I've seen this, and I and I know it firsthand. But when we talk about getting them to go to bat for you and what you're, you know, when you're building that defensive mindset, what what is it that? Like first and foremost, like day, let's say day one of practice, it's like I know that I have to get this team defensively ready. What do you? What is the? You know, what's the mindset that you have to have? From day one, um, we had a few non-negotiables that we, that we called non-negotiables. We were gonna, we were gonna play what we called DMAC hard or, or wherever we are. It was the line at West hard when I was there, and um, you know that that was one of our purposes. I, I remember the, one of the very first open gyms I was at was. I stopped it and said, Hey, we're, we're not going to do it this way here anymore. We can make mistakes, but we're going to do them with effort and intensity and we're going to do them that way. So I think that expectation setting that expectation early is important. And then, you know, we have some, a few credos and I've even taken a few from the new program I'm in and kind of you set the culture every day as, as the leader of your program and the expectations. And, and we made it a, a purpose to talk about defense and how we were going to win games. And, and we thought, I thought with a group of guys and then the easiest way to build a program back to winning from a difficult stage it may have been in would be through defense. Um, it doesn't take near as long to develop the skill, but you can develop a little bit of heart and intensity in defense. And we talk about it every day. Um, we talk day one about defenses in our DNA. And we still did that to the day with the program I'm in now, normal community, a 4A program where I, I'm lucky enough to help out with. So I think it's the things you stress, how you practice, and the expectations throughout your practice. I talked to one of my uh, – John Moss, one of my assistants, and after I left, because you're always trying to get better and you're always trying to reflect and, and look at things you can improve and that things don't always go the way you want them to do all the time in life and – and in coaching and in any profession. But I think anybody that wants to be good is always retroflective, I guess. And John said that the one thing that we did was we held kids to a really high standard. And I, we were relentless 
in the fact that we expected them to play defense. We could live with we could live with turnovers. We could live with missed shots, um, some of those things. But we wanted them to sell out for each other on the defensive end, and we expected them to play really, really hard. And to be quite honest, it was it's something I'm most proud of. But I got to say, the the kids and the school I was at, DMAC at the time, was a perfect fit for me. Um, we had kids that were hungry to win, families that wanted to win and were supportive and allowed me to coach their kids. So, um, Yeah, yeah, I think that, that you're really talking a lot about the buy-in and making the culture and things like that. And, those, and, you know, it's one of those things that we know when we have it, it's great, and that's what we got to have. But how do you – you when you came in it wasn't that way right so when you're talking about building this this trust in this culture and also holding them to a high standard how do you mix those together well honestly i i knew um and for any any young coaches taking something over that you might want to change the culture uh the first few first year may be difficult and and probably the first year and a half for me were we're really trying it there. And uh, had I not had people like you and John Moss and, and, and Mitch Holmgren in my corner at that time, I may have wavered. But um, we, we had to go through some growing pains, to be honest with you. Um, we, had, we had our non-negotiables. We were going to be unselfish. We were going to play hard. And we were going to play for each other and represent the program in the right way. And those were things that I was unwavering on, um, regardless of points assist, um, status in the community. Um, so unfortunately, you know, through some of those things, we had, we had some really difficult times in our first year. I remember, um, we won our last game at home and, and, uh, just to put a point on where we were. My assistant was so excited because he said we weren't going to lose 20 games that year. We couldn't lose yeah. 20. So, yeah. um, and we had, we had several kids that quit, um, you know, probably for better for them and me. And you try to find the kids that you know are, are willing to that fit your culture and, and are willing, if they don't fit, are at least willing to work and and, and listen and learn and want to be involved in something that's bigger than themselves. Yeah, and I think that's a great question there is um, as I look at it from this perspective uh, and when I work with co- uh, athletes and I work, with a lot of athletes at different levels and things like that uh, and see a lot of perspectives. How do you, how do you find that mix between, I mean, the sport is for the at the athletes and you want them to do it, but we also as coaches know that it, they're really not getting the benefit from it if they're not doing it right. And in, invariably you have kids, you know, attrition uh, that, don't want to don't want to put the work in and it does make your team better sometimes but how do you how do you justify or how do you figure out where that line is between you know that expectation and holding them accountable but then doing it so much that kids don't want to play anymore a uh, couple things um i knew that i had the right kids in my corner um, so I knew the makeup of the kids that were in my corner. Um, there were some young kids who were freshmen and sophomores and I, I knew the makeups of their families. Um, so I, I knew kind of the older kids 
they were seniors. It's really hard to get them to buy in. I did have a senior that really bought in. Um, and then, you know, sometimes I think coaching, I think as adults and even teachers and spouses, and we steer away from difficult conversations. Yeah. And I, I personally, I want somebody that's going to be, I want people in my life. It's Alan Stein's book, raise your game. I want somebody who's going to be truth tellers. I think the best relationships I have um, are people that tell me the truth. It's funny uh, you say that, and I can remember a phrase that you would say. I would hear you at practices, and you would tell kids. Uh, kids would complain about playing time or situations, and and I can remember you looking at a kid and saying, I, "I'm I'm giving you the keys to the castle. I'm telling you, I'm telling you exactly what it's going to take to play for me. You're just not wanting to do it." And I just, that, that obviously that was years ago. And I, that has stuck with me as something that you said, I don't even know if you remember saying it or if that's. I do now. I did, <laughs> but I do now. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that, and you have to be really intentional that you talk about culture. You have to be really intentional about what you're doing. I think kids, kids these days don't get enough credit for, you know, they, they want, they're, they're more informed. They're more uh, probably intelligent than we were. We just kind of went aimlessly through our eyes. Kids now want to know what's in it for them. And they also want to know what's the why. What am I going to get from, you know, like, why am I going to do this? So um, you try to sell them on your vision and, and hope that your vision is leads them in the right direction. And fortunately for us at DMAC, it did. So how do you sell a kid that it's in his best interest? Uh, I, I can remember a kid you had, John Carnicle, uh, is one of the smallest basketball players I've ever seen. And we'll get, like, how do you convince him that he needs to go out there and have some 225-pound center run him over with taking a charge, right? How do you convince him that that's what's, what's in it for him, right? That's – lucky for me, John Carnicle, the first <laughs> – uh, my first encounter with John Carnicle, John Carnicle was an eighth grader coming to our high school open, our first high school open gym. And uh, like you said, I don't know. I, I don't want John, if you're listening, I don't want to cut you short, but John was, John was probably four foot 11 and weighed 125 pounds in eighth grade. That's fair. And we didn't, we did not have enough people to, uh, to, Play at open gym, so the junior high kids came over and fortunate for us. We had guys like you down there that pushed them that way. Um, and I stopped. That was the first time I stopped him. I said, "Hey, we we we're not going to do it this way." And a senior had hit a couple threes. A senior star running back had hit a couple threes, and I stopped him and I said, "Somebody's got to guard him." And John said, "John John looked over at me and said, do you want me to take him out?'" <laughs> And from that point on, I knew, I knew I could ask John Carnicle to do kind of whatever I wanted. But then again, you know, John, like you said, John was a small, um, and I saw him a couple, about two months ago, and he's not small anymore. So, um, but he was small and he was, he was quick, but he wasn't overly skilled. So like you said, we're, we're going to, I'm going to give kids like that an opportunity to play at a small school. But here's the stipulations you have to do. And it meant enough to John Carnicle. You, you have to dive. You have to take charges. Um, you have to be one of the toughest guys on the floor, probably guard in line to in line and, and not shoot very much. Um, so 
John, John was willing to do that. And then, you know, when guys like that, I don't think they get celebrated enough. You talk about guys that watch, you watch the NBA and they, they never talk about defensive players hardly at all. We celebrated those guys and we celebrated charges and we celebrated dives and we're very intentional about tracking that stuff because it meant something to us. So I, I think all of that um, plays into your culture. Yeah, you know, I think I think that the way you yeah I do think that the way you track those things you sell like you grow you excel at what you celebrate a little bit so when you celebrate those things you're that's what you're that's what the kids are gonna really uh, try to gain with. Do you have any examples of so we're talking about developing a defensive mindset? So John was probably the terrible example because he like you said he he'd take a bullet for you, but. Give me some. Give me the kid that is not doesn't come to you ready to do. You know, you say jump. He says how high. How do you develop that uh, that mindset in a kid that really isn't ready to? I'm looking on the wall right now that the picture the guys got me from the, the Elite Eight team, and uh, there's one kid's number of their number twelve, Caden Slack, and yep. Caden. Caden was a sophomore. He's on the sophomore team, and I'll never forget it to this day. Uh, man, he was just a dog on defense in the sophomore games. And uh, But he could score. He's really athletic, and I knew he's a key kind of cog to what we were going to build um, in the future, and we needed him. And Coach Moss and I pulled him in at halftime of one of the sophomore games before he got any other guys, and we just – said, hey, you're not playing defense. And his comment was, I can play offense or I can play defense. I can't do both. Which one do you want? <laughs> so, um, and, you know, our sophomore coach was a little bit different at time and didn't have the same expectations that we did. Um, so he was kind of skating by and, and playing time and things like that. And so a kid like that, you know, I spent a lot of time with Caden in the weight room talking to him about why we need you to do this. Um, I talked to him at football games. I, I was I was visual at football games um, and his other sports that he did. I, I tried to be there for him and just continue to pour into him. And I, and I think before his junior year, um, <clears throat> he wasn't he wasn't going to go out for basketball. And I'd heard through the grapevine, there's a couple other kids that may not go out and. Um, so I, I just pulled him in. I have a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations with kids, pulled him in and said, Hey, listen, I understand where you're coming from. And I, I think as adults, I think we need to do a good job of listening to kids. Um, I let him talk and let him get some things off his chest that kind of, he didn't like. Um, and, and I admitted some imperfections. I think, I think being vulnerable and being able to admit mistakes and those intimate positions with kids is, is important to them um and i said hey here, here's the things we can do better but i see you as a big part of the future and, and here's the things we need you to do um and I, i'm gonna pour into you for that and to this day Caden and i still text um still text regularly and, and have a great relationship and he's uh, just re-upped in the marines so i'm super proud of him and he's, he's done a great thing he is a definite example of a kid that you that you could see that the pro if you knew him the the progress in he is a poster child for a kid of 
developing mental toughness as he um as he progressed throughout his career because I don't I think I do think some coaches uh out there think that you can't like you're you can only play the hand you're dealt. Um oh these are the kids that came to me and they're just not tough and I can't do much with it. But it takes time and it takes effort and you can actually develop some of those things. So, and what I'm picking up from you and I kind of know this already about you, but it's the relationships are just so key. It's like the relationships come first and then the effort, they'll get the effort. It's not, you know, not the other way around. Um, so think about that question or think about that thought for a minute. Let me pay some bills here. Calling all parents of athletes, I have some exciting news. Get ready to help your young athletes develop mental toughness this summer. Join me in a free webinar on developing mental toughness in young athletes. You'll gain valuable insights to help your athlete enjoy summer athletics while building mental toughness. And the kids are welcome too. And also, don't miss the interactive Q&A session for some personalized guidance. So mark your calendars for June 13th at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Empower your young athlete and gain practical tips for the entire family. So join me in helping your athlete thrive and register today. I truly hope to see you there. The Mental Metal Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Quick Cut. Quick Cut is the new alternative to Huddle. It's no secret why Quick Cut is the fastest growing platform in the country. Their video analysis platform has everything you need. Plus, you'll get triple the storage at about half the price. And now get even more when you use the promo code 50HOURS for 50 hours of free video storage. Make the switch. You'll be glad you did. Visit quickcut.com today. So back at it here. My question was the thoughts, what thoughts you have about developing the uh, relationship and how important that is to getting the buy-in on something not fun like defense. I think, I think it's, I mean, I think it's everything. Um, like you said, the culture we live in is, is not one that celebrates um, role guys or celebrates dirty work or the guys doing those things. Um, so it, it, it's in order to get kids to do those things, I, I think you 100% have to be willing to pour into them and, and develop relationships. And, and when I say relationships, I think it's really important for coaches talk. I think, I think we're, often in mentor mentee relationships, but I learned a lot of things from the kids I coached um, and, and listen. And, and you know what, I, I gotta be honest, I messed up a lot too when I coached. Um, but if you have those relationships and we talked a great deal about family and um, I grew up in a, in a family of four, my brothers and sisters were awful close to me and we played a lot of sports. Um, and, and we talked about, Several times throughout our lives, my brother and I ended up in fistfights. But then, then we went inside and we loved each other. And, and you know, when you're when you're competing and you're doing those things hard, and you love somebody and you're passionate about something, there's going to be emotions that kind of spill over at times um, from me and from them. And you just got to kind of understand that. And I think that's kind of where I lived as a coach. I, I like the emotional part. 
Um, I like guys to be emotional. I like people just, just as a general person. I like people. Um, I like to pour into people. I like relationships. And, and I think just that kids was another way for me to expand on kind of who I am as a human being and kind of what I, what I hope my purpose is life that, that, that kind of God give me. No, and that's, and the passion there is, uh, and you, I can hear it in your voice now as we talk about it, you know, the passion's there. And I think that that, I think that's key. Um, I loved what you said about, you know, the vulnerability and admitting your mistakes. I think that that's probably a, some great advice for a lot of young coaches that, um, we, we probably all had coaches that wouldn't admit to anything and it was my way or the highway and always right. Um, and that's tough. Uh, so, a question that I had for you um, on the defensive mindset. I have this. I I have the the good memory of you basically switching gears on what type of defense you were. You were about two or three years in, right? Um, yeah. You decided, hey, we're going to switch defensive uh, strategies. Uh, it fit my fit my personnel. Uh, when you do that sort of stuff, what do you what do you keep? What is like again the non-negotiables, and then how do you like change change a defensive strategy on a team from one year to the next? Well, I I've done it a couple times throughout my career, and the first thing I've always done is I solicit the help of somebody that's way smarter than me, um, that's that's got a lot of credibility within the profession. So I was fortunate to have Tom Wiersma who. Uh, Growing up, I played in the same conference as him and, and his teams. I'll never forget it. Uh, we drove into Farmington when I was a senior, and they played 26 games. And the bank on the eight-city sign said, congratulations, Farmers, 27-0 and in a perfect season. Um, we I scored the first two points. We are fired up and ready to go get the Farmers, and, and they scored the next 37. Uh, <laughs> so... I remembered playing against it and how miserable it was. Um, and he was retired and we developed a mutual relationship through coaching. And so the first thing I did was I brought him in, um, bring somebody that, that kind of knows. And, and and for those that don't know, he's talking about a jump and run. That was a, a and it was a full court jump and run. And, and I don't know if we need to get into it now, but it, it and you can correct me when I'm wrong, when I'm wrong here, but it, required so much of your guys. Yeah. And, and that's, it was, I'm a hundred percent honest. It, it, I cannot thank those guys enough because the, what we did was so difficult. Um, I mean, we, we got to the point where made or missed basket, we were guarding you from inline to inline and not just guarding you, we were making your life miserable. Um, and it, it took some time to get there. And, and then, you know, I remember that summer as, as we were kind of building it, and my best player was, was Levi Sherman at the time. And I talked to him about two days in, you know, like I said, talking, talking to guys about things. And I was like, how do you like it? And he's like, I got to run all over the place. I'm playing hard all the time. I don't like it at all. Um, so the, I, I kind of talked to him and said, hey, you know, you got to tell him your point of view and, and what your why is. And I said, Levi, here's the deal. Like, we're going to put you on the front end of the press and it's going to allow you you to get some easy baskets up there. It's going to allow us to create some offense. 
from our defense. And like you said, we we could not score. Um, we were not great at it. And and then uh, we talked about how it would make his teammates better if he kind of did some of that stuff. And and if you, I think if you get your best player to buy in, then I, then I think the other guys are more likely to follow. I mean, and and eventually it came around for him because I'm, I, if if I memory serves, he dropped thirty five one night, and a lot of it was off of you know those half of it was off steals, right? Yeah, for sure. So yeah, that that's an easy way to win your best player around is you know, kids love the defense, but the the name getting gets in the paper with when you drop thirty five, right? For sure. Yeah. And, uh, but he's he's another kid who. Um, you coached him in junior high. He might be the only player that I ever coached that was more stubborn than I was. <laughs> um, and that's a credit to him. But I remember when he was a freshman, he, he practiced with us in the varsity game, varsity, and we didn't want guys to block shots. And it was about the 10th time that day, Levi blocked a shot. And not only did he block a jump shot, he, uh, he blocked it and then he yelled and, and did a couple other things and he told the guy how weak he was on the way down. So we stopped him and we ran and you know, we just we ran Levi for, for I don't know. That day was the ten minutes and, th- and then he came back and he, it wasn't hard running, he was just jogging around the outside. And he came back and I said, Do you know why you're running? And he wouldn't admit it. He knew he was a really smart kid. He knew. Um so he just kept running. He ran for like 35 minutes that day around the outside. Yeah. And I, we talked a few, I don't know, at his brother's wedding here last year. And he said that was way easier than practice was. So he was getting the better end of the deal on that. Yeah. And that, that brings up a, you know, so I'd love you to, I'd love some perspective on that. Now that doing it again, like I don't think that the running did what you thought it did. Right. No, and that's one of those situations where you talk about like you get dug into a to a rut, and it's like I was I was my first year, and I was trying to prove a point, and it was his first year, and he was trying to prove a point, and uh, the only thing we did was waste about thirty five minutes of his practice time, and in the process, probably made me a little bit angrier for all his teammates. So, um, I I don't know. <laughs> I got to be honest, eventually it took three years, but eventually Levi uh, bought in and, uh, and on our, our sectional, our run to the Elite Eight that year, I remember him, uh, we were getting ready to play Williamsville before the sectional title and the Mitchell kid had killed us at Christmas time for Williamsville and he's averaging around 20 and we went through the scout and I said, we got to limit him and Levi stood up and said, hey, I, I got Mitchell, he won't score over 10. And I'll be dang if that night um, Mitchell had six points, a technical. Levi took a charge on one of their big guys, and and so it can happen. I you're you're right though. That practice when he was a freshman, I probably wasted thirty minutes of my life. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of energy. Yeah, and I think if you hadn't followed it up with some of that. Like you're hard on them, but then loving up, loving on them, and then also talking to them about the why and really having conversations with them. I think that you don't you don't make the progress that you do with kids. So, but so kudos to you on that one. And I, it's 
we all make mistakes, but then you you follow it up. So I'm curious, uh, early on, you mentioned uh, a couple of your favorite defensive plays ever, and you named one of them. What's the other one? It was in the sectional finals against uh, West Hancock, and it was in like the first quarter. They were, they were 20, 27 and one that year in the number two team in the state. And uh, Caden Slack tipped the ball in a run and jump in the full court. And there was a ball that was tipped. And Neil Sherman, uh, the senior point guard, was not in the picture on film and came into the picture on film and dove from about eight feet away and won the loose ball. And it was just a embodiment of who we wanted to be as a program. And uh, John Moss and I probably watched that, that clip probably, I don't know, 25 times the next day and just were so excited about the buy-in and, and the, the toughness of our kids at that point in time. It was just such a, such a, such a fun thing to witness and see. And like you said, if you, if you can ever get a group of kids in this society to sell out for each other and, and do hard things like dive on the floor, play defense, then it's such a reward to them. And it's such a reward to you as a coach when you, when you see the whole process play through. Yeah, it's it's it was it was so much fun to watch being a fan at that point, you know, and and watching being in the program but getting to watch it. So, uh, last we'll just go last question here. Uh, when we're talking about developing that defensive mindset for whatever program you you've got, whatever the age, what 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 advice do you have for any young coaches trying to come in and and develop a defensive-minded team? Have have your non-negotiables, things that you think you cannot cannot get away with, cannot get away from, and and things that you want your program to be known for. Um, Be genuine. Be who you are as a person. Um, Kids kids can tell when people are false representatives of themselves. Um, And invest in kids. Invest in kids um, off the court, invest in kids on the court, uh, but invest in their lives and, and pour into them to make them better people and, and hopefully make society a better place. And if we if we can develop some more unselfish people that are willing to play defense, I think we're all going to be a lot better off. Yeah, doing uh, people that are willing to do the dirty worker is, yeah, it, it, it benefits all of us, so... Uh, I can't help. I can't thank you enough, John. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Um, I'm thanks for coming on the show and, uh, maybe we'll find another topic and chat again sometime. So sounds awesome, man. Thanks for having me. I had a great time. You You bet. Thanks, man. Creating strategy is great, but culture eats strategy for breakfast. Negative cultures can bring down a group in a hurry, and culture has to be addressed at the individual level. And as a speaker, I cannot remove obstacles from your life. However, I can help you learn to live your 100 and face those obstacles with a smile. The Live Your 100 presentation works great for schools, teams, and businesses. Find my email below in the show notes to start a conversation today about how I can come and speak to your group. Coaches, empower your athletes to overcome adversity with the Mental Metal Academy. Teach them to face and conquer hardship without adding extra pressure. 
visit the link in the show notes and enter the code METAL, that's M-E-T-T-L-E, at checkout for a special listener discount. So Coach Hughes, as I mentioned, was a good friend of mine, but also one of the most passionate coaches I'd ever been around, I've never seen. And one of the kids, one of the coaches that demands the most out of his kids. My my son had played for him, as I mentioned, and has played for several coaches now and, and will tell you that uh, that was the hard, John ran the uh, hardest practices he's ever been around. And I think that if we just talked about how hard of a practice he ran, you miss so much of what Coach Hughes was about. The two words that really come up for me is passion, which I mentioned, but the other one's vulnerability. And in today's day and age, I think that's really important. I think some of the old school mentality about vulnerability and coaches and quite honestly, men is that vulnerability was is something that's frowned upon and you got to throw up the wall got to be the suit of armor and just not let anything in and not let anybody see your weaknesses and as you mentioned uh, john would have conversations with his kids in which he would admit wrongdoing and change his philosophy based on how it would how it was making the kids feel and how it was going to affect the kids. Now, as we talked about in the interview, there were non-negotiables and being vulnerable and changing your mind does not mean that you move, you know, you know, just move with the wind that you're not a weather vane up there that, you know, you don't, you, you don't bow to anyone, uh, you know, you, you stick with your beliefs and what you want, but what you change is maybe the way you do it you take input you take criticism even from the players uh i think that a lot of time coaches really believe that they are they're there to lead but see that as a very forceful leader almost a dictator type individual which was quite common Back in the old, you know, back in the old days of basketball, uh, my way over the highway, my way or the highway type, type coaching. And uh, if you don't like it, there's the door. Uh, lose a lot of kids, and it still happens. Uh, some kids aren't even okay with your non-negotiables. Uh, some of the non-negotiables, like on hard work, and we talked a lot about defense with Coach Hughes there, and and it was defense first with those kids and that was the way he preached that's the way he coached and that that was that's hard right and that's difficult so some kids weren't okay with the non-negotiables and they either didn't play or they didn't you know even on the team but how he adjusted those non-negotiables by talking to kids and changing practices and even changing entire defensive strategies to fit the personalities and fit the abilities that that's okay. That's good. I think that sort of thing makes a difference 
on on how you operate and how you have success in different ways. What I really want coaches, especially young coaches, or you know, even not even young, if you are modeling yourself, we become the coaches that we were coached by, and I think that we need to stop and think about how we were coached and pick out the good, pick out the bad and pick what we want and use it, but then realize what's antiquated and what's not useful. I think a lot of that is the vulnerability and actually talking to kids, building the, uh, the relationships is just vital. You are acting or you're asking your kids to be extremely vulnerable all the time. Every time you make them learn something new, they have to be, you, we all remember what it was like to play. It's vulnerable to get out there to play in front of people and be the stress and the pressure that it's fun. Sure. We often, you know, when we sit around and talk about the glory days, we remember the fun, but a lot of times we miss and remember, you know, misremember the anxiety and the pressure and the vulnerability. I think that when a coach opens him or herself up to their players and say, Hey, I'm not perfect. I'm working on this. Here's what I want to do different. Or here's, you know, what do you think we need to be do different? What do you see? How can you, how can you help me? I think that opens that relationship helps that mentality for that individual, for the entire team. It's something I definitely took away from coach Hughes. I know that it was something that I always struggled with in my coaching career was, you know, having to be in charge meant having thinking you had to have all the answers and not letting see people see your weakness. Something I've really had to change in my own life with a lot of the changes I've made to made, you know, for my recovery and things like that. It's a longer story for a different time, but that vulnerability is, is key and being okay with that vulnerability. It's something that really helps in the long run. So great conversation and I'll be back next time with another coach. I've got a couple other good coaches. We're going to go down and talk to some more high school coaches. I've got some, uh, various college coaches to talk to all about these same kind of ideas, just how they see it, how they apply it. I've got some division one, division two, and some other coaches lined up for guys, gals, coaches. It's, it's going to be a good, uh, set, a good set of podcasts all about that mental toughness and how it applies to basketball. So thanks again for joining me on the Mental Metal Podcast. Until next time. Thanks again for listening to the Mental Metal Podcast, produced by Coraggio Media, sponsored by QuickCut, a video management platform for every level of play, and by Mental Metal Coaching, helping athletes learn to face adversity in a spirited and resilient way. The Mental Metal Podcast is created each week to help players develop more mental toughness, and that is something that will help all of us. So help me out and like and share the Mental Metal Podcast with your friends. Until next time, keep forging your metal.